Good to see everybody today. Um, we're going to, if you'll give me a little time today, I'm going to preach a little stronger than normal. Is that all right? So just hang with me and we'll just uh, work our way through this. My concern today is that one of the great problems we face in evangelizing our generation is tightly wound, toxic religious people. This is to say that they're mean, they're angry, and they're divisive. And so they're mean. Christians are mean today because they're mad. Is that all right? Now listen, I'm going to be a little stronger today. Put your helmets on. Get your seatbelts tightened in. I'm going to speak a little apostolic a little bit to you today. I'm not here to do a motivational speech because you can get those anywhere online. But they're mad. People are mad today. Christians are mad because they're serving a God that they don't know how to please. They don't know how to please God. They're not certain what to do. So when you believe in God and you don't know how to please God, you're not sure if you're pleasing Him, if you're doing all He wants you to do, it's frustrating. And after a while, that frustration builds into an anger and into a, you become mad. Now our generation around us knows just enough about church to know that the message of a church should be good news and it should be love. But the problem is they keep running into you guys, uh, uh, people, <laughs> mad, mean Christians. And they're struggling because they just really don't know what God would have them to do or how to please God or what God, they just don't know God. So I want to give you just a couple of verses that I want to read out of Exodus, the, the sixth chapter, verses two and three, be my springboard for my message today. It says, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob as almighty God, but my, my name Jehovah, I was not known to them. I'm the Lord. I appeared as almighty, but by Jehovah, they don't know me. Now, progressive revelation, when you study it, means that revelation is continually unfolding. It's progressive. It's unfolding. So that teaches me that whatever you know about God is not all there is to know about God. Whatever you have seen God do is not the only thing God can do. The more you walk with God, the more you know God. Is that right? God cannot be known except that he wants to be known. If God does not want to be known... There's no way you're going to know him. We should be thankful that our God wants to be known. Amen? We need to know how to know God. He wants to be known. So let me give you a few things that will help you, basic things, as we start to progressively go through this message and get to where I want to go. First way that God will show himself and reveal himself to people many times is through just natural revelation or creation. <clears throat> when you look at creation, you can get to know a little bit about God, that God's a God of order. He doesn't have half night and half day. It's either night or day, land or water, mountain or valley, tree or dirt, animal or, you know, the, everything is separated. God's a God of order, and you can see that. And so you can start to learn things about God without even having a Bible. Did you know that most of the world can't read a Bible does them no good. Most of the world is illiterate, okay? The early church didn't even have a Bible for 400 years. For 400 years, how did they do it? So God will reveal himself through natural things many, many times. The next thing we need to know about God is that our God is a God of diversity. God is colorful. I love the Arizona sunsets. I love the sunrise. God is beautiful. The clouds, the, the plants, the animals, the, the, the diversity. God loves diversity. He loves the black and the white and the, and the Latino and the, the <laughs> I got trouble the other day on that one. The, the, the male, the female, the good looking, the ugly, the tall, the short. Amen. God, God, lo God loves diversity and God made every one of us and called us a masterpiece. Amen. All of us are masterpieces. So we need to know that God will reveal himself through, through his diversity. He'll also is never, God is never a God of scarcity. God is scar Our God is a God of too much. 
What God does is usually too much. There's too many stars to count. There's too many grains of sand on the seashore for you to count. There's too many insects for them to even figure out what they are. Amen. There's, uh, the, there's, there's animals and plants and things they've never seen before. Our God's a God of too much. Amen? Our God is a speaking God. He's a speaking God. In other words, and God said, let there be. And God said, let there be. And every time, every time he did that, he said, and it is good. Several days in a row, God said, let there be. And then he said, it is good. So God's concerned about good. He's concerned. The biblical definition of good is it fulfills the purpose for which God had created it without causing injury. That's what good is. It does what God created it to do, but it doesn't cause injury. For example, God put the sun out there and he kept it just far enough away that you're not a crispy critter. And he got, amen, he got it just right so you're not freezing and you're not burning up. And, and, and God said, that's just, that it, it's good. That's good right there. That's how God does things. So, so God's a God that, that does all of these things that we're looking at. Now, we're way ahead, guys. We've got to go back on the screens. You're like five ahead of me. So go back. God is a God of good. And then when God gets good created right, then God creates a man. Okay, and God takes the man and God puts the man in the good. Now we know that God wants to be known because then God comes down and walks in the good in the garden with the man and talks with the man so that the, the man can know him. So this means our God is a God of presence. Are you with me so far? Our God is a God of presence. So this is important. So Hear me, I know I'm giving you a lot of stuff. This is progressive. you got to stick with me today. When man loses the good, he stops hearing from God. Because God walks with him in the good. When, Amen. So he loses more than the garden when he gets done there. He loses God's presence. He loses God's presence. Now let me go back to our scripture. God says they know all about me with creation and the diversity and all of these things. They know all about me, but they don't know me personally. In other, is, in other words, Israel knows God. They know the scriptures. You can know your Bible and not know God. They know, they, they, but they don't know me. He says they only know me through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They know me through the patriarchs. There we go. So, so. They pray when they pray. They don't pray to me. They pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, in other words, they only know what God does through others. Through others. That's the only way they connect to God. So it, it's possible then, follow with me as I begin to build this, to know God by, by natural things that we see around us. And it's also possible to know God uh, 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 somewhat by other people's insight that they tell you like your mom might have taught you some things or your dad or, or or your preacher and and i'm not saying that mentors are bad if you've been coming on wednesday nights you've learned that we all need a naomi in our lives we need mentors and guardians and guides to help us i'm not saying that but somewhere along the line we've got to develop to a place where we actually have our own personal relationship with god okay and that's what god is saying so so one day Abraham gets a word from God, and God says to him, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and I want you to take him up on this mountain and sacrifice him. Now, most of you know, but at this time, Isaac is an adult. Some scholars say he's up to 40 years old. I'm not, I, I don't want to deal with all that, but he's an adult. That means he could have fought back. But Isaac laid down, now listen carefully, on that altar. I don't think the test was all about Abraham. I think the test was also about Isaac. What would Isaac do? Would he fight his dad or would he surrender to the will of God? But I know this, that when they came down from that mountain, he was no longer just the God of Abraham. Now he was the God of Abraham and Isaac. Okay, so God taught Isaac a little bit about how to know him and how to know this God. He says, Isaac, if you want to know me, you're going to have to have a little something-something in your tank. 
You're going to have to be willing to uh, sacrifice if necessary. You're going to have to be willing to lay yourself down. And you're going to have to be willing to get yourself up. You're going to have to be, amen, somebody talk to me today. Help me preach this good message. So, so, so he goes along, he says, okay, you're, first it was the God of Abraham. Now it's the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then we come to the place where it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now I don't have time to deal with Jacob. He's a whole nother message all by himself. That guy's a little tricky guy. But I thank God that he's the God of Jacob. Because in here we have more Jacobs than we do Abrahams. We'll just keep moving. At this time, they were known as the people of the patriarchs. Then, later on, they began to be known as the people of the promise. They were defined as a people who had a promise. Now listen, faith is always based on a promise. God promises you something, and then it will require faith for you to enter into that promise and have that promise fulfilled. He'll promise you something, but you're going to have to have faith to get it, okay? So God says this. God says, I'm going to give you a land. I promise. That's a promise. That's why they called it the promised land. God says, I'm going to attach my word to something immovable. Immovable. Something permanent. Something fixed. Something that's not going anywhere. A territory. I'm going to say, this is my promise to you. I'm attaching it to something that will be there on one hand. On the other side, I'm going to attach it to something that's in flux and that's moving. And I'm going to attach your promise to your feet, to your feet. He says, I have a territory that I promised to you, a land I promised to you, but it's not going to be yours till you have enough faith to get your feet on it. When you get your feet on it, then it will be yours. Are you following what I'm saying? I don't, want to, I don't want to lose you. I want you to be with me. So what, what I'm trying to say, whatever you're going through right now is a preparation for your promise. Part of your promise is there. It's secure. It's there. It's all really secure, but by faith, you're going to have to enter into it. And God is wanting to give you something. Now, the funny thing about people with a promise is they don't always look like people with a promise. Okay. So these people have a promised land, and they haven't got there yet, and they end up with a guy called Pharaoh. Amen. And Pharaoh, they end up with this guy, although they have a promise, they haven't got to, they don't look like they got a promise. They look like slaves, and they look like they're in a bad way. And this went on for a very, very, very long time. In fact, the scripture shifts gears a little bit. And instead of just being the people of the promise, it says now they're the people with a promise. Okay? So it's been so long that now we just know that you got one somewhere. Amen. So then God raises up a guy. Are you with me so far? Then God raises up this guy named Moses. And Moses says, we got to walk you guys out of this situation. And so by the time we get done with Moses getting them out of Pharaoh, out of Egypt, they're no longer just the, the children of Abraham. They're no longer the children of the promise or with a promise. They begin to be known as the people of the presence. People of the presence. They found out God was with them and that God would fight for them and that God would open red seas for them. And God would do all kinds of cool things. In fact, they found out that God takes it really personal when you mess with his kids. Amen. And that God would put a pillar of fire up there. And, and, and he would put a cloud up there. And he would protect people. And he would stand with people. And they found out, listen carefully, that you really that, that God was there. And other people found out that you really shouldn't mess with these people. I have a drink right there. What do you think about <laughs> They might not look like they got much of an army. And they might not look like they have a bunch of warriors. But they've got this box. And if you roll up on them the wrong way, man, stuff starts happening. <laughs> Amen. For you that are new Christians, it's called the Ark of the Covenant. In this box are three things. There's the Aaron's rod that budded. 
There's the unbroken tablets of stone. And there's the pot of manna. Let's talk about Aaron's rod just for a moment so you can understand that. The people were fussing over who was supposed to be the leader of the people. So God says, I want you to take a leader of each of your tribes, and I want them to bring a rod and lay it down before the box. And then come back the next day, and we're going to look at those rods before the box and see what's happened. And when they came back the next day, Aaron's stick, it's just a rod, it's a stick. It has literally budded and produced fruit. And so this is a picture of Jesus. Muhammad and all kinds of different people claim to be uh, the true leader. But God says, no problem. Let's lay them all down in the dirt. Let's, let's let all of them go to the grave. And let's see which one comes back to life. <laughs> so as far as I know, all the rest of them are in the tomb still except Jesus Christ. Okay? So I'm trying to help you learn to know a little bit about God. So they laid these there. Now, in that box was the unbroken tablets of stone. Do you remember the story? Moses had been up on the mountain with God. God himself had written in the tablets of stone the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down from the mountain, finds Aaron and all the people. They're dancing around this false calf, this God that they had made out of their gold and the stuff. And, and, and Moses gets all upset, throws down the Ten Commandments and breaks them. It was a bad, bad day in the kingdom. Amen. But God in his mercy and his goodness says, we're going to work with you again, Moses. Get you some more tablets. This time you're chiseling them out yourself. He chisels them out himself. And, and, and if the lesson is that you can't, when you're in the presence of God, you can't break the law. Okay, so he moves and he puts that in there. Also in that, I've got to hurry here. In, the, in that box is a, a pot of manna. Let me just put it this way. Jesus is the bread of life. Okay, so my point is, they became the people of presence. But over time, they began to devalue the presence. They began to devalue it. Here's what they did. Everybody else has got a king. We want a king. We, we don't want to be different. Than, we, all the other nations have a king. We want a king. Now, this is what happens when you devalue the presence of God. You forget all about knowing God. And all of a sudden, you want to be like everybody else. Can I say something to you? We sometimes think the church should look like the world and like every other organization. But we're not called to be any other organization. Amen. We're not called to look like whatever CNN would want us to look like. Or whatever the fox would want us to look like, or in whatever anybody else, Apple or 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 Microsoft or Bail. I keep moving. We're not supposed to look like anybody else. We are God's people. We're a people of His presence. But when we forget that we're a people of His presence, it's not long and we look like a people of Hollywood. Now just just listen. Amen. So, so let me go a little bit. Eli is now the high priest. He comes on the scene. And the Bible says that Eli's eyes are dim. He's losing his sight. He's a little older. He's overweight. And he's allowed the fire to go out. That's what the Bible says. It represents a church and the priesthood of the church that have lost their vision. They've become self-indulgent. And they don't even care about the Holy Ghost anymore. Okay, it's diminished in the church. So what happens is he gets himself so messed up that the old boy Eli falls off a log backwards and breaks his neck. It's all in your Bible. You ought to read your Bible. It's, it's an amazing book. It's got great stories. It's a picture of disconnection from leadership. Okay, we'll keep moving. So now, now the old boy is dead. There's no high priest. There's no presence of God in the people. The people are, are, have devalued it to a place that there's nothing happening. And the Philistines, who are an all-time enemy, are now watching them and saying, You know what? Th these people have forgot about their box. It's that box that's been keeping us away, man. Every time we get around, that box causes weird stuff to happen. That box has got power in it. These people are a bunch of uh, wimps without that box. 
They ain't even got a mighty man. Their mighty men will fold under nothing. They don't, they don't have nothing here. The power was in the presence that's in that box. And so what they did without Israel even realizing it, they come in and steal the box. And they take away God's presence from God's people. Here's the crazy thing about it. The people didn't even realize the presence was gone. Mm -hmm. Nobody had been inquiring of the Lord. Nobody had been talking. The fire was out. The people were fat. Talking about myself here. And during that time, things are bad. And the Philistines have stole the presence of God. They didn't know what to do with it because it was causing them problems. So they got it out in a, a field somewhere. And, and David comes along. And now David becomes king. And the first thing David says is, we've got to go get that box. We've got to get the presence back. We've got to get the Ark of the Covenant back. Do you remember the story? So they go out there. They find the Ark. And they put it on a a, a cart and they're going to have oxen draw it and as they're going along the road the cart stumbles a little bit the ark looks like it's going to slip off and old Uzzah sticks his hands up there and to stop the ark from falling off and remember the story he drops dead on the spot how many of you remember that story okay if you're a new Christian I'm trying to give you enough that you can fill in here here's the lesson I need you to learn anytime the anointing is in transition it looks unstable. I'm going to get a little deeper here. Anytime the anointing is in transition, it looks a little unstable. The lesson is, anointed, the anointed may look a little unstable in transition. Don't touch it. Don't be confused. Don't allow yourself to get messed up right here. Even though it might look unstable, God's got it. God's got it. And you better keep yourself away from it because God's got it. Amen. Now, I grew up in churches, and the, most of the churches I were around had a maximum of attendance of like 50, 50 people. Okay? But by the time I was 28 years old, I was pastoring the largest church I'd ever been a part of. My church had grown into the thousands, and there I was. I'd never been in a part of that church like that. Listen to what I'm going to say. Most everything I learned, I learned on the fly. Okay? There was times that I didn't look, it didn't look like I knew what I was doing. Newsflash, it's because I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue. I was on the fly. I was trying to figure it out. But I also learned that the presence of God was helping us. And we were seeing a lot of people saved. And God was moving before us. And you better not touch the anointing when it's moving. So when we went down to the city to try to get permits, we had a big attorney, a big time attorney against us. And when we walked into that council room, he violently began to vomit and throw up and couldn't handle himself, ran out, and we won the case. Don't come against the anointing. You can get hemorrhoids. Read it in your Bible. Bad things happen when you come against the anointing. I've learned that when God takes you from one season into the next season, it always looks a little unstable. It always looks like things could be shifting and slipping in a way you're not certain of, and it causes you to want to put your hand out to help it. Over time, listen to me very carefully, you're going to find out, as we are here in this church, that we are going to develop leaders. Okay, God's anointing is going to become on these young leaders and they're going to look like they're slipping. Amen. We're going to move from one building to another building. We're going to expand. We're going to see things happen. We're going to go along and it's not going to look like things are really going well. It's a little shaky and should we be doing this? Maybe we should put our hand on it. You got to learn. That as you move through the process with God, there's going to be a lot of unstable times. And a lot of things we're going to do, we're going to do on the fly. We're not going to know which way to go or how to go. All we know is that the anointing is in God's hands. Amen. So David says to Obed-Edom, he says, man, 
we've, we've got the ark, but we, we, got, we need to park this thing somewhere for a few days. We've got to figure out exactly what's going on here. Can we park this at your house? Now, Obadiah is not too thrilled about this because the last guy that touched this thing died. Okay? So well, I'm trying to cut through the story here. So they park the Ark of the Covenant in Obed-Dedim's front room, and everything in Obed-Dedim's sight, everything around, began to be blessed. Everything he was connected to was blessed because the presence of God was in his house. Amen. So the lesson we learned, you can touch God the wrong way. That's not too smart. But if you host him, everything connected to you will be blessed. Mm-hmm. We're talking about getting to know God. We're talking about getting to know God. David wanted the presence, but he learned that God has a God is a God of protocol, of a certain way of doing things. You can't just do God your way, the way you always did. Well, this is the way we've always done it. Amen. We're going to move from new levels to new levels. Okay, so, so, so listen, the ark was never supposed to be put on a cart. Why? Because it made it easy. For one thing, God never wanted his presence to be easy. You're just going to have to get past all the teaching you're in right now. Listen very carefully. The ark of the covenant was designed by God to be carried. To be carried by priests. We are carriers. Why does God want you to carry the ark? So you can feel the weight of it. You can feel the weight of it. If it's on a cart, you can't tell when the presence lifts. You can't tell when it lifts. God wants you to carry it on your shoulders so you can feel his presence lifting or sitting lifting or sitting he wants you to carry his presence so my point first of all is the presence of god is to be carried this is how you learn to know god you can feel his presence so the ark of the covenant according to scholars and they i read all upon it and i don't these guys are crazy but anyway they came up with the idea that the ark of the covenant weighed 615 pounds now, God wants his priests to carry that weight. Here's something I've learned. When I watch leaders, I don't buy into leaders that delegate all their stuff to everybody else to carry. God wants you to carry the weight. Amen. God doesn't want you to give all your weight away. God wants you to carry your weight. Amen. God's ministers are called to get up underneath the weight of God. So church, listen. It wasn't one priest, it was six priests. They were carrying, that's 160 pounds each. Okay, they, they're carrying the weight. It's a picture. God's teaching us something, okay, that together we can carry his presence. But alone it's pretty tough. Amen? Are you with me? So I'm coming today to say to you, help us carry the vision of this house. Help us carry the weight. We're not just a people of the patriarchs. We love the patriarchs and all that we learned. We're not just a people of, our, of what we've learned from our moms and our dads. We're not just a people of the promises of the past. We are a people of the presence. Amen. The weight of his presence requires that we work together, that we, that we feel it together. And, and so here's the beautiful thing. They've got this 615 pounds, and they're walking through the wilderness. The wilderness is not a nice paved parking lot. It's dirt and rocks and snakes and thorns. And I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, but it's rough terrain. And there they are out there. But the one beautiful thing they know is they can feel the weight of God is that if you come out of the hills and mess with us, there's something in this box that's going to come out after you. Amen. We're a people of the presence. Amen, somebody. Tweetable moment. If you carry the presence, you can carry people. Mm -hmm. That went over like a lead balloon. You guys don't tweet, do you? Okay. <laughs> Amen. Amen. 
The purpose of the old is to give us a picture of where we're going. The Ark of the Covenant is a picture of Jesus. Right? So when you study the Ark, you can kind of study how Jesus is going to come along. It's called in the Bible the like principle. The like, to, the, to have likeness, the like. So when God wants to teach you something you don't know nothing about, he's going to use something that you do know something about. Okay? So God says things like. He'll say, a blessed man is like a tree that's planted. Now, let me help you. An unblessed man be like a man that just got plucked out of the ground. Right? <laughs> Your roots are out in the air. Right? So a blessed man is like a tree that's planted. He, he, he finds something that you might understand and, and says the kingdom of God is like a treasure that's hidden. Or the kingdom of God is like a man who's sowing seed. Or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And so he always finds something that they could relate to to tell them about something they don't know nothing about. Okay? The purpose of carrying the presence is to help you understand how to carry people. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Everybody needs to be carried every so often. Everybody in this room is going to need somebody to pick you up every once in a while. And so, is that right? In fact, I want you to take just one moment right now and think back just a little bit of all the people that have carried you to get you to where you're at today. Now let's give God a praise for those people. Give God a praise for those people. No, a real praise. Amen. So here's my lesson. I'm trying to help you. We're trying to learn something here, okay? The people of the presence aren't people that sit around feeling goosebumps. That's not what it is. The purpose of the goosebumps is to so you can feel the weight of God so you can learn to carry people. That carrying people part's not going over real well today, but we're going to keep working on God's presence is attracted to microphones, to speakers, to platforms, to instruments, to buildings. God's presence is attracted to people. Go all the way back in the Garden of Eden. God didn't come down and walk in the cool of the day with the plants or the animals. He came down to walk with Adam and to talk with Adam. Now, God is everywhere, present at all times, filling all space. But he manifests his presence in a garden to talk to a man. Are you hearing me? So God's presence comes when it connects to a person. When it connects to a people, it manifests. So, so don't, don't, don't go too far here, but just hear what I'm saying. What good is it to know a bunch of songs... To sit around and soak and worship God and not convey that to carrying people. If you're not carrying people with it, you're devaluing it. And you're going to lose the good of it. Oh, amen, amen. 1 John 4, he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now remember my opening statement. The problem with evangelism is mad, mean, religious people. Because they don't really know God, they don't know how to carry people. And when people come in and go, go along with their agenda or their program, they get mad at those people and they bite at them. Ooh, I'm teaching really good right now, Pastor Ray. Really good. The purpose of God's presence is to teach you to feel the weight of carrying. Ultimately, God's great design is that you will carry other people to him. That's the design. That you will carry other people to him. In Acts 3, there's a lame man. That's carried. Somebody carried him every day to a gate called beautiful. Do you understand what I'm talking about? They had to carry him. But listen, there's people can only carry you so far. 
They carried him to the gate, but they can't carry you in. They can carry you to Jesus, but they can't carry you in. Amen. Peter and John, that day, were going together. Now, that's a whole other message on together. But they were going up to the temple in the hour of prayer, and they met that man at the gate. And Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, and walk. Is that what he said? Amen. And the Bible says that power shot into that guy's ankles and that guy's legs. He jumped up. He rose up. He began to walk. He began to jump and go into the temple. But somebody had to carry him to the gate. If he'd have been at home, he would have never got that miracle. Somebody carried him there. And then somebody said, get up, get up, get up. And they encouraged him. Are you with me? The presence of God was upon them. The Holy Spirit was upon the early church. For what purpose? So they could get a goosebump? So they could lay around going, woo, this, woo, woo. Is that what they, no. It's so that they could carry people to his presence. Now there was a paralyzed man. Are you guys all right? Getting a little warm in here? Or is it just me? I'm up high. There's a paralyzed man. This man must have been a quadriplegic, my guess. I'm not sure. But he hears that Jesus is in somebody's house. And he knows that Jesus is healing people. And he's, four friends come over. Remember the story? And they say, we're going to take you down there to that house and see if we can get you some prayer. So four friends carried him. And the four friends get to the house and they can't get in. So they decide to take the man up on the ceiling, up on the roof, tear a hole through the roof to get him. They're going to tear a hole in the limitation. They're going to tear a hole in the limitation. For four men to carry one man on a stretcher up above, you can't go up one at a time. If the first guy goes up, the guy on the stretcher goes, he's going to slide off. You got to go up together. Amen? You got to go up together. So they have to ascend together or they're going to tip the boy over. Right? Okay? It's a picture of the four gospels carrying paralyzed humanity to the place where Jesus is at. It's a picture. Here's the picture. The first old boy that's got the, it, the corner of the stretcher, his name is Matthew. Matthew wants you to know something about God. Matthew wants you to know that Jesus is a king. And it starts off in Matthew 1.1. And he starts to tell you all about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And by the time you get down to verse 17, he's told you for, that from the time of Abraham to David was 14 generations. From the time of David to being carried away into Babylon was another 14 generations. From the time of Babylon all the way to Christ was another 14 generations. What is Matthew doing? He's giving you the pedigree. He's giving you the bloodline. He's giving you the lineage of Jesus Christ and proving that Jesus is a king. And 42 generations later, there's no doubt in anybody's mind that Jesus has the pedigree and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Matthew wants you to know that. But Matthew alone can't get you up on that place. So over on the other corner back over there is a dude by the name of Mark. And Mark wants you to know that Jesus is a miracle worker. In fact, if you read the gospel of Mark, there's only three or four, maybe there's five chapters in there that don't contain a miracle. Every chapter almost in the book of Mark contains a miracle. Miracles of Jesus casting out devils. Miracles of Jesus healing the sick. Miracles of unbelievable supplies being multiplied. Mark wants you to know that he's a miracle worker. On another corner is a guy by the name of Luke. Luke's a physician. So he has with great precision of the operating surgeon and the heart of a family doctor. He tells us about the 17 parables in his book. Luke is the only one to tell us about the parable of the lost coin. He's the only one to tell us about the parable of the lost sheep and the lost son. He's the one that tells us about the prodigal son. In other words, he's saying to us, yes, Jesus is a king. Yes, Jesus is a miracle worker, but he also came to seek and save that which was lost. I want you to know he seeks and saves people. Amen. And then you come to the final corner. It's John. 
God, God, John wants you to understand the creative power of Jesus Christ. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And if you go on and you keep reading about the miracle power of, uh, of the creative power of Him, it comes down to verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld. We held the glory. We held the weight. We held the truth of it. We felt the pressure of it. Amen, somebody. So the four friends carry us to where Jesus is at. Now hear me. Jesus saw their faith. Their, T-H-E-I-R, if you spell it properly. Some people spell T-H-E-R-E, that's wrong. He saw their faith. That means collective faith. That means they could have never got that man there by themselves. It means it took a people that came together to carry a presence. It took all of us bearing the weight to carry the presence, to carry the people to where he's at. And when he sees that faith in VLCC, when he sees that faith in our lives, that we're collectively working together to carry people, dysfunctional people, broken people, wounded people, addicted people, somebody carries you. And when he finds a people that will do that, then he says, but that he sees that faith, it moves God. Now you're learning to know God a little bit. He's a king, a miracle worker. He's creative. He's amazing. He seeks and saves that which is lost. He's in control of all nature. He's in control of all things. He's, it's all underneath it. Amen. This is how you begin to learn to know God. That he wants you to feel the weight. He doesn't want to take the weight away from you. He wants you to feel the pressure so you can learn how to carry people so you can be strengthened. I hope you're learning something today. Yeah. Will you give me one last story? Yeah. Mephibosheth. Never name your kid that name. <laughs> Boy, you'll never be able to spell that in kindergarten. <laughs> Second Samuel 4, you find out that old Mephibosheth was lame because he had been dropped. Somebody who was supposed to carry him had dropped him. It was his nurse. She'd got in a hurry. I mean, Starbucks was closing. There's a lot of angry people around here. They're, they're, they're coming into the palace. They're going to try to kill Mephibosheth because he's the old king's son. And I mean, he's part of the old regime. And they're going to try to kill him. And she got all freaked out, man. I mean, if Starbucks closes, the Dutch Brothers line is too long. And she dropped him. Before we close here in just a few minutes, I want to pray for people that's been dropped. Because you find it difficult to walk through life because somebody dropped you. You know, so many adults I deal with today are dealing with childhood problems. I've been pastoring 40 years. And I've learned it's better to raise healthy children than to repair broken adults. Most of this... The reason we drop people, they come in, they leave, we never even knew their names. We never touched them. We never took them out to a cup of coffee. We never spent a moment with them, we dropped them. How many babies has VLCC dropped? Hundreds. How many babies have I dropped in my life? Thousands. Amen. Look, can we be transparent? Most of the reason we drop babies is because nobody caught, taught us how to carry the weight. We don't know how to carry one another. We don't know how to get up underneath the weight of 615 pounds together. Well, I just don't think that that's the way the song service should be. So that guy takes off that way. The other guy says, well, I want country western. He goes that way. Pretty soon the paralyzed person's on the ground dropped. Because you done walked away from the stretcher. That way and that way and that way. and You know, all kinds of things happen in churches. Is that right? God wants to put you under the weight so you can learn to carry the to bear up under it, to, to have strength for it. If all you know about God is a couple of fortune cookie scriptures and a couple of Bethel songs, 
I'm not beating up on anybody. I like fortune cookies. <laughs> when you learn to know God, you'll discover. Listen to me. When you really get to know God, you're going to discover what, something about God. What God cares about more than anything else is getting people into his presence so he can heal them. He wants to touch people. He loves people. Our job, the bottom line, is carry people into his presence. Our worship service should carry them into the presence. My preachers should carry them into the presence. Our ushers, ushers, they usher people into the presence. Not into a seat, into a presence. So if our ushers aren't praying, what are they doing? They might as well go work at, I don't know, Mrs. Zips. I want to try to send you somewhere where we don't get no tips. I'm <laughs> just teasing. I'm just. Are you guys? Are you guys listening to me? The whole idea is to usher people into His presence. So David says, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's a son of the kingdom. You're a daughter and a son of the king. What? Are, where's he at? What do, you, what do you mean he's alive and we've dropped him? Where's he at? Go find him." They send people out and they find Omephibosheth. He says, you bring him in here. You sit him at the king's table. You sit him right here. And he's going to sit at the king's table forever. He's got a seat right here. So when the devil comes, you pull him up to the table of the Lord. Amen. You pull him up here. We're going to discuss things with the Lord at the Lord's table. Amen. And when you're at the table of the Lord, they can't see what's going on below the table. They can't see your, your wounds, your hurts. We cover for people. They bring him in. What's old Mephibosheth do? Sits on the floor. Because that's what he's used to doing. David says, you get up here. You're not sitting on the floor. This is, not a, this is a place for kings. This is a king's place. This is the embassy. You're all part of the king's table. Amen. And he doesn't want anybody sitting on the floor. He doesn't want anybody broke down. He wants everybody to have a place at the table. He wants you to know you have a part in the kingdom of God. He wants you to know that he'll carry, tear off every limitation. He's looking for faith. Amen. Are you following what I'm tracking? Are you tracking with me? This is what God wants us to really know. He says, I know you know all about Abraham. You've known me as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've known me of what you've been heard all your life, preaching the assembly of God, the Baptist, wherever you've come from. You've heard all kinds of stuff. You know all about me, but you don't know me. If you knew me, you'd be carrying my presence, and you'd be carrying people into my presence. All the rest of the stuff you're doing is religious. All the stuff that all the other stuff you're doing is just going to make you mean. Because people aren't going to join into your game. And you're going to get mad. You're going to get frustrated. He says, forget the game. Carry people to me. Bring people to me. Bring them to me. We'll build a kingdom. We'll do something. He says, I, are you guys listening to me? I came here today because I care about you. I want you to join with me to carry others. If we will carry people into God's presence, amazing things will happen. You do your own study. I don't have time today because i got to get to the restaurant. And I've got communion to do. You do your own study. You go in the Bible and you find things that are being carried. And every time you find something being carried, you watch the end of that story and you're going to see miracles because somebody was carrying something. All through the Bible, those things that get carried release the miracle power of God. Amen. So I'm here to tell you today that some of the people in this very room have been dropped. Maybe it was on purpose. Maybe it wasn't on purpose. I don't care. All I know is that God loves you and you have a place at his table. And all I know is that God wants us to carry you. And when I fall and slip one of these days, which I will do, I'm human being, you pick me up and carry me for a while. And when people are trash-talking me and beating me down, you cover for me just like I'd cover for you. Amen. This isn't a place where we talk negative about people. This is a place where we talk positive about people. This is a place where we build people, and we understand that's the very nature and the heart of God. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Right now, we have a young man in our church that has had a horrible accident, and his family needs a carrying for a little while. He's going to have to carry him a little while. They're going through some stuff. When your family goes through stuff, we want to be there to carry you. Amen. Now, we're not talking about your cat getting sick. 
We won't talk about cats right now. We're talking about serious things. Our God's a creative God. He's a king. He's a miracle worker. He seeks and saves the lost. He loves. He cares. And he's trying all through the Bible to teach us how to bring people to him. From the very beginning of Genesis all the way to the end, it's all about bring people to me. Bring people to my kingdom. Bring them to me so I can heal them and touch them. Bring them to me. That's your job. Your job's not to sit here and look at me. That's pretty good for one hour a week. You ought to do that. You ought to encourage me and say, amen, best sermon I've heard. Yeah, that, you need to do that. But your real job is to bring people to Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Allow me to be silly. I'm stupid. But on the other side, there's a real message here. If the one who dropped you, how do I say that? The one who dropped you is not as big as the one who's carrying you. Hmm. And I want to say to you from this moment, get up. Get up. Don't stay down. I know, I know it hurt. I know it screwed your head. Get up. Get up. Come into his presence. Get up. If you've been dropped, you've been hurt, I want you just, don't, don't worry about nobody else. We're not here to condemn. I just want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Stand to your feet across this room right now if you've been dropped. If you haven't been dropped, I didn't preach my sermon very well yet. Everybody's been dropped almost. And not by people that meant it most of the time. Just didn't know no better. They said ugly things to you like, your sin will find you out. Hey, that scripture is so taken out of context, it's unbelievable. And they beat people up. See, mean Christians, they come with the Bible in one hand and a rock in another. The Bible says, and it beats you to death with that thing. Father, you know what? Just lift your hands. I, I'm so tired of all this virus going around, but I, I'm going to be honorable to some in here. I'd have you join hands, but we won't do that today. Just lift your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your healing power will touch these broken lives and hearts, heal every memory. I know, Lord, you won't take the memory away because it's there for our purpose, for a purpose, but heal it. Heal the memory so that we can look at it, talk about it, and not become emotional over it. Heal it, that we can use it as a stick that we was beat with to beat the devil off of other people's lives. God, I pray today for every person standing in this room that you will strengthen them and bring great strength into their bones, their muscles, their sinews, just like you did in Ezekiel. Make them a marching army. Lord, lift them up so that they have the strength to carry the weight of your presence. I pray, God, that they'll be strong enough that they don't back down with your presence when they go to their work, that they don't back down when they go home for Thanksgiving and the family's not believers, but that they can carry the weight of your presence and walk into any environment carrying the weight of your presence knowing 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 that if somebody comes against that presence that that presence will rise up and do something they never dreamed it would do that it will come to their defense it will come to their provision it will fill that room with love and with power and with grace i pray lord let them know that and then let them carry their family members, their friends, their business associates, their neighbors. Let them carry them into that presence so that they might learn to know their God and know who their God is so that this anger and divisiveness that's in our nation, this stuff that's causing people to have riots and mob attacks and all these weird things, God, heal the frustration and the meanness and the divisiveness that's in our nation. Let us as a church learn how to carry your presence and carry people into it in Jesus' name and heal these today that have been broken and dropped and wounded. In Jesus' name, I release them. The healing power of the blood of Jesus Christ right now. And everybody give the Lord a praise. Come on. Give him a big praise. Get up, get up, get up. Give him a big praise. Can we get some music? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. 
Amen, amen, amen. Now, some of us are going to be going. We're not going to have Thanksgiving week, uh, midweek here, so you can be with your family. And I know all your families aren't saved. Don't be ashamed of your presence. You're going to carry in there a presence. They're going to feel it. They're going to feel it. They'll attack you over it. They'll say things to you to see what you do. Don't be ashamed of your presence. Carry your presence. Carry the presence of God is what I'm talking about. And if you'll carry it right, you'll be able to carry them right back into it. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? This is what we've got to do. That is your job. That's your goal. You might not get it done in one setting because they're your family. If it's people you've never seen before and you'll never see them again, go for it. If it's your family, you've got to be a little more gracious. You've got to work it a bit. But if you carry the presence right, they'll come into it because they're desperate for it just like you are. You hearing me? People are hurting, man. They want the real thing. They want authentic Christians. Are you all right with this today? Did you learn something? When you walk into any place, you're carrying something. You're carrying something. Anywhere you go, you're carrying it. Carry the weight of it. Christians, back down. We quit. We just, oh, let me hide the box. I'm going into Denny's right now. Somebody might talk to me. Quit hiding your box. We hide the box. Oh, I'm going to see my mom. My mom, my, whew, she's mean. I better put the box. Don't be afraid of the box. Carry the box. Don't put it on a cart. Don't put it out in your trunk of your car. Carry the box. Amen. 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 Jesus is a king. Say it with me. What else is he? A miracle worker. It's a miracle worker. What else is he? Seeks and saves the lost. He's creative. We're thankful that Tim's spinal cord is already beginning to heal. I was in that room with Loretta. They let me go in. And the doctor said it might be a year, six months before you could ever feel anything. As soon as he left, I said, don't believe that as a lie from hell. I said, don't believe that. That's the doctor's report. That's a practicing physician. The great physician could creatively cause a miracle this moment. Don't lock yourself into something. Amen. I'm not ashamed of the presence. Amen. I'll tell him about the presence. My God can heal. My God can heal. I've seen where there was no eyeball eyeballs. Amen. My God is a healer. I've watched provision come in ways that will blow your mind. God can bring provision. God can do things that are off the hook. Don't ever put God in a little weird place. Let God be who God is. Amen. You carry his presence, you carry people. Did you get that message? You carry his presence, you carry people. That's the only reason he gives you his presence. So you can carry people. He didn't give it to you so you go, woo. He didn't give it to you for that. I like to, woo, I like it. But it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be something real. I love, I love good music. I like to hear good music. I, I'd much rather good music than bad music. <laughs> Just my preference. <laughs> my God's a good God. He comes to meet me. He's a good God. He's concerned about good. Is that right? He's concerned about good. You see, you're learning. You're learning. That's why I'm re- rehashing it. I want you to get it in your spirit. We're going to be a people that carry his presence. We're going to be a church that's not ashamed to carry it. We're not trying to hype. We're not going to push a string. We're not going to make something that's not there. We don't push strings. We don't, you understand what I'm saying? We're not faking it. We're not pushing it. We're going to let God lead us and direct us. But when his presence is there, we're going to be all in. And we're not just all in just to be all in. We're going to get pumped up. Why are we getting pumped up? To go get people to bring them into that presence. Just to get pumped up and go home and watch CNN is stupid. Amen. All pumped up. We're going to go home and watch the Steelers lose. No. I'm just, I'm just teasing. I said that for a friend that loves the Steelers. That's probably going to watch this. <laughs> Steelers might be winning now. But my God's a miracle worker. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Even the Cardinals can rise again. Cowboys got a long way to go, man, but uh, we're going to believe God for them. Amen. We love you guys. Do we have church this midweek? We do, right? It's next week's the the Thanksgiving. Okay, I got to just remember where I'm at. Been a wild ride. I've been been in a rodeo, Brother Jim. But I'm on. 
I rode the Brahma bull, now I'm going to ride. Amen. You guys all right? If you've been dropped, God's lifted you up today. He's going to heal marriages. He's going to heal finances. He is. Never doubt it. Your God's able to do stuff. Well, pastor, but divorce went through. God's able to do stuff. Don't you ever? You listen to God. Let God do what God does. Let God do what God does. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We're such a grateful people. We're so filled with gratitude, Lord. Let your joy give strength to your people. Let them go this week and be blessed in their work. I know that, Lord, they say all kinds of things about the economy, but we're your people, and in a famine you'll prosper us. Father, I pray every businessman in this room just flourishes. I pray their business just begins to flourish in Jesus' name. I pray every curse that's ever been spoken over people falls to the ground dead. And that they rise today to sit at the master's table forever. In Jesus' mighty name. Bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Love on one another. Those that are supposed to be in communion with me, we'll see you at the time scheduled in the office building over there. Amen. God's good. Love on one another the best you can. Some of you are distancing. Others of you aren't. Whatever it is, have fun. Amen. You're dismissed.